Uh, my name is Derek. I'm an alcoholic. Let's open with a moment of silence, followed by the set aside prayer. God, please help me lay aside everything I think I know about this disease, these steps, this program, this book, myself, and especially you, God, so I may have an open mind and a new experience with this disease, these steps, this program, this book, myself, and especially with you, God. Please help me see the truth. All right, I'm going to introduce our first speaker. I've gotten to visit with him a few times on the phone. He does the work uh, that we do out of the big book. Um, I, I've enjoyed getting to know him on the phone. I'm going to get to spend some time with uh, them on Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm excited and uh, ready to hear Adam's experience. So I give you Adam Andrew. My name is Adam Andrick. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. First of all, uh, I want to thank everybody involved and Tarek for talking me through this in the beginning <laughs> and, and John for giving us a ride. Um, and, and also apologize ahead of time for uh, my mouth. Um, uh, God hasn't seen fit to remove that character defect yet sometimes it works you know but uh you know but if i uh if i say something about it now i, I don't have to think about it and and try and uh edit and when i edit all i do is mess things up because i'm in my head and uh, that's not necessarily the best place for me um i guess uh tonight um our focus is uh letting you guys get to know us and me and, and I talk a little bit about uh, the first step and how it relates to my alcoholism. Um, I'm the oldest of, uh, of three boys. I'm a byproduct of the 60s. Um, my parents are, uh, my dad's 20 years older than me and my mom's 17 years older than me. I was born in 1969. So um, I grew up in a lifestyle of um, kind of um, very lax when it came to alcohol and drugs. Um, I crossed the country probably five times before I was five in a, in a um, old camper. It was actually an old pickup that my dad built the camper out of wood on the back. And we had the screen door with the curtains and the, the whole long-haired hippie child naked in the back door. That was me. <laughs> and uh, my first... Uh, introduction to music was the Allman Brothers and and Donovan and you know and this is kind of what I grew up with and it was it was perfectly normal um, as I got older and and I and I became exposed to stuff I smoked pot with my mom and I drank with my dad and, and like I said it was it was normal and it was acceptable um, and I didn't see anything wrong with it because also I grew up in Northern California and uh, all the kids that I grew up with and all my friends um, were the same kind of kids that I was. You know, their parents were the same way. Um, some were a little more extreme than others. You know, some of my uh, some of my friends growing up uh, were growing their first plants at 10 and 11 years old. Um, I uh, my parents had a little bit more, uh, I guess, structure 
you know, to mainstream society. Not not a lot more, but a little bit more. Um, my dad had stopped getting high um, shortly after and my mom continued, but uh, my dad stopped. And so it kind of curtailed our, our, our party lifestyle at home. But it was still there, and it was still, like I said, it was normal and acceptable. I, I, I picked up my first drink, conscious drink to get drunk, with my friends at around 12 or 13. Um, not quite sure. I'm still kind of burnt. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was two gallons of red wine and a and five beers, yeah. You know? And there was about I don't know five or six of us, and we all went down to the railroad tracks and hung out at a construction site and uh, proceeded to get wrecked. Um, it was most of us. It was our first experience all together. I, I I went to a very 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 small Catholic school. Um, our graduating ninth grade class had 17 kids in it. So we all grew up together. We all did the same things for the first time together, you know. And um, like I said, this was this was a normal thing in my life. So I never I never perceived what I was doing as abnormal um, until later on. I uh, I also want to say that you know, growing up, I, I was born in New Jersey, and. Uh, we moved out to California when I was real young. I was about two years old, but the entire family was still on the East Coast. So my whole childhood was back and forth and back and forth. We never really lived back here, but we were always coming back to the East Coast. And, and those kind of uh, roots that kids plant and, and build kind of a structure around, I never seemed to have those. You know, I always had kind of that, that vagabond, you know, gypsy mentality in me which um, carried over into my into my teenage and, and, and adult years um, but I took my first drink at 12 or 13 got plowed um, woke up the next morning with the most excruciating hangover that I've ever had that I've ever had even in all the you know and I remember laying in my yard and the sun was beating on my head and and it was just so intense and all i could think about is i can't wait till next weekend i'm gonna do this again you know it, it was awesome you know and, and um but the problem was is we moved again yeah um we moved when I, I the wednesday of that week i came home from school and my dad said pack your stuff we're hopping on a plane and uh we came back so i didn't get the opportunity the next weekend and I only got one other opportunity between that point and like the next year. And it, it didn't happen until I was about 15. But once I, once I hit about 15 or 16 years old, give or take, um, I was getting loaded probably four, five, six times a week. And uh, I had a... A good justification for not being an alcoholic for a lot of years is I didn't drink on Tuesdays. Um, you know, because, well, you know, you got to think about this. It's a Thursday. Thursday is the beginning of the weekend. You know, so you party on the weekend. Friday's the weekend. Saturday's the weekend. Sunday's the weekend. You know, so you, all those days are acceptable. And Monday's the end of the weekend. You know. Oh, oh and, and Wednesday's hump day. You know, so... 
I had a, I had a, a, a legitimate reason to drink those six nights out of the week. Um, I couldn't find one for Tuesday. Um, I did later find one. I found 50, 50 cent mug night on Tuesdays. Uh, it was all about justification, really. You know, uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. When I was uh, first uh, trying to get sober, there was a, a real big emphasis on knowing that you're an alcoholic. You know, knowing, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta know your first step. And if you, if you relapse, you don't know your first step. And, and, and for me, you know, I, I walked into the rooms. I knew I was an alcoholic. You know, I knew I was an alcoholic from the time I was 16 years old. You know, I, I, me and my buddy used to joke about, you know, how we're alcoholics because we buy a case of beer and then go to a keg party. You know, this is the, we're, it was like a badge of, honor or rite of passage that we used to have, you know. So knowing I was an alcoholic um, truly played no part in me getting sober. You know, I knew I was an alcoholic long before I got clean. But um, like I said, that life was normal to me, and uh, I followed the pattern, you know, of that life. And, and I, uh, I, uh, I, I moved out. When I was about, well, I moved out first time when I was 16, but I moved out permanently when I was 18 years old and um, proceeded to drink and, and, and party on a, on a daily basis. Um, I, I, I didn't like the idea of having to get a job, um, so the electricity got turned off, um, the, the heat got turned off, um, the water got turned off. Um, so what I did was I lit candles, I had a fire, and I went out to the street with a little pole and turned the water back on. And uh, we used to cook on the little bonfire pit in the backyard. And I got party money from being the go-to guy for anybody who wanted something. You know, I grew up in a college town. It was... Uh, and I was a, I was a local, so I knew anybody and everybody any, everybody who had something, you know, of want to college students who were partying on the weekends, and uh, I was that guy, and so it allowed me to party the way I wanted to and not have to have any money. Um, I used to say, why why go to work when you can party? And that logic um, brought me out onto the streets. I I spent about five years living outside um, and uh, again justification you know uh, why live in a $50,000 house when you can live under a $50 million bridge uh, I'm camping I'm camping out under the stars you know um, yeah, I, had, I had a great spot until they busted me I had this little cave made out of vines and I had a little clothesline up and I had the radio next to my bedroll and it was right next to the creek so I could jump in and take a bath and you know I was a very clean cut dirt bag you know I, 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 I bathed on a daily basis you know um, but you know I, I lived outside and I did my thing and um, I, I, I sold a lot of drugs and I, and I stole a lot of booze and I, uh, I, I used to joke that, you know, my job was to play hacky sack in the park. And, and that's what I did. Um, ultimately, I ended up getting arrested. Um, I ended up 
doing some state time. And uh, I remember when I was locked up, I, uh, I wrote letters. You know, I wanted, I wanted everybody to know that I have a problem and, and that I need help. You know, because I, I did recognize at that point that, you know, every time I've been arrested, it was in the pursuit of getting loaded, you know, and, and I made the connection that, you know, these external consequences have something to do with my drinking. Um, and I wrote letters and I, and I knew I had a problem and I knew I needed to do something about it. And uh, in California, they give you $200 when you get released. So... Um, Within 20 minutes of being released, I had a six-pack. Within two hours of being released, I had a half ounce of weed down my pants, a bottle of schnapps in my back pocket, and two hits of acid in my system, and I hadn't seen my parole officer yet. Um, I woke up the next morning after sleeping under a bridge and realized, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm exactly where I was when I started. You know, I'm exact. I'm going back. You know, And all my friends and all the people that I knew at that time we're doing life on the installment plan. You know, they do a year in, six months out, two years in, three months out, you know, and it was just, it was uh, this cycle. And I, I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, I remember leaving jail and telling people, if you see me within the next year, you'll see me for the rest of my life. If you don't see me within the next year, you won't ever see me again. And I, and I knew that I needed to get away. And uh, I took a geographical cure. Um, it worked, but it took a while, okay? Um, I moved to New Jersey, and uh, my theory was is I need to go where people work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because up until this point, you know, the, the idea of a hard day's work was sitting on an inner tube with a keg floating behind me, you know? <laughs> that, that was, you know, that's what we did, you know? We, 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 we grew pot, we cooked speed, we sold acid, and we went inner tubing with a keg floating behind us, and that was our life. And um, so I had to go to the East Coast. I, I came to New Jersey. My mom was here. She was in, she was in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she told me that if I was going to stay with her, I couldn't get high. Uh, I think that lasted a week. Um, but I was good. I, I, I tried really hard not to come into the house wasted. And then I tried really hard not to smoke a joint out the window. Then I tried really hard. <laughs> but the thing was, I just couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't stay away from it. You know, I could, I could, I could last a day. I could last two days. But at some point or another, I had to get high. And um, the last time, you know, um, when I was with my mom, it was uh, the dead came to the t came to town and. Uh, well, yeah, you, you can visualize it. <laughs> I, uh, I went to the show and I woke up on the park bench in the backyard and um, the uh, landlord got me and my mom threw me out and said, said either you got to get out or you got to go to detox. And so, okay, I'll go to detox. My first experience with, uh, my first real experience with Alcoholics Anonymous, because I'd been to NA a few years before with a buddy of mine who I was showing support for. And uh, <laughs> I went when I was on two hits of acid, and I found the people who smoked the pot in the backyard or in the back, in the back behind the building. But I went for support, you know, and uh, 
But I, I went to I went to detox and uh, I asked I asked my mom how long does it take? She goes three to five days. So, you know, after three days, I told my counselor. My mom said I could leave after three. And uh, but uh, I, the one thing that, that struck me when I went in there was uh, they gave you that test. It was like ten questions, you know, of what makes you an alcoholic. And I answered eight out of ten, yes. And uh, my counselor asked me what I thought of that. She said, and I said, well, maybe I'm a potential alcoholic. <laughs> and I really believed it at that point. You know, I, I really believed that, you know, because of these two things that I don't do, you know, that only qualifies me to be potential. You know, I don't really need to stop. I spent another, uh, that was probably another three years, two years of actively partying um because i wasn't getting you know it's it's weird because you know there were tremendous consequences that came along with this but i never really viewed them as consequences because they seemed normal you know everybody that i hung out with you know up until this point in my life um I don't want to say, I, I, it sounds wrong, and I, and I don't know how to articulate this right, but they were less than, in a sense. They, they were of a lower, um, they'd been there longer, I guess is the best way to put it, because I, I wasn't any better than them, but on the outside, I did look better than them. And so I had these people that were my role models and, and the people that I looked to as to what was acceptable and what wasn't, and they were so far down past me. I hadn't gotten there yet, that I'm fine. I'm okay. You know, yeah, I'm eating out of a garbage can, but it's okay because I don't look like Ziggy over here. You know, um, he's got things growing on him. You know, um, so eating out of a garbage can isn't that bad. And the same thing happened when I, when I came to New Jersey. You know, I, I still hung out with people who were worse off than I was, and I was able to justify a lot of my, uh, my use. You know, um, but it got to a point where I was I was with this girl, and uh, she had finally left me. Um, we were supposed to get married, and, and she backed out, which is probably one of the best things that ever happened. But I, I got I got extremely depressed. I'm in this apartment alone with these two cats, and, and I'm trying not to drink. And, and I'm making it through the day until about midnight, and then at midnight I got to go to the bar. I can't make it any further. You know, and then I'd close that bar, go to another one, and bring those people back to the house and stay up until the morning. Um, because I, I, I have this uh, allergy. We were talking about this earlier. Um, I, have a, I have a craving. Once I put booze in my system, I, the booze tells me when to stop or something external tells me when to stop. Either I drink until it's done or I drink until I hit a wall. You know, and, and, and sometimes it's figuratively the wall, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's not. But, um, you know, I, um, I don't stop once I start. But the thing was is, is even when I had moments of abstinence, I was, I was incapable of staying away from it. You know, because booze was never my problem. Now, I heard this years ago, and it, and it really clicked with me, is booze was never my problem. Booze was my solution. It did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and I couldn't function in the world without it. Um, I was a, I was around-the-clock daily drinker, and I, I, 
at certain points, I did that whole shake thing, you know, but I was young. I was in my early 20s, and so I bounced back relatively quickly. You know, I probably felt like I was 40, but I, I you know, physically could handle this to a certain degree, but emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually, I was just wrecked. Um, I eventually got to the point where I was, I was on parole and, and, and my PO was going to lock me up. Um, I got a dirty test, I got a petty theft and a drunk driving charge all in the same month. And uh, I went to my PO and I said, I need help, I need to go to rehab or I need to go to whatever. And she sent me to this, uh, this place down in New Brunswick, which is like this real hardcore TC. They shave your head and make you wear a diaper and things like that. And, and I know me, you know. I know me, uh, I'm not, you don't have razor wire and the doors aren't locked, I'm not staying in a place like that. You know? So I called her and I said, either lock me up or give me another day. You know, me, me questioning everything right, right from the gate, you know. But that, that's really how I felt at the time. So she gave, me, she gave me another day and I ended up going into the Salvation Army. And uh, for all its faults, the Sally did one thing for me that saved my life. You know, I, I, I bitched and complained all the way through that place, but it did save my life. They told me you got to find God in order to get sober. You know, um, I didn't buy into their brand. Uh, in fact, I fought it tooth and nail. You know, they used to make us wear a jacket and tie at a chapel, and you know, they were telling me I had to cut my hair. You know, I had hair down the middle of my back at the time, and you know, and I fought it tooth and nail. You know. I, I had an old tie-dye button-down shirt that I used to wear to chapel with the tie, and you know, it was, you know, I had to, I had to stand out somehow, and I had to, you know, say no, I'm not like you guys somehow. Yeah, and then I, I, I ended, I left the 90, the 90-day program after 89 days. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, good, good alcoholic that I am, but I went into a halfway house, or not a halfway, yeah, it was a halfway house. It was a uh, Mount Carmel Guild in Newark. And I remember them talking about, uh, you got to talk about your reservations. you got to talk about your reservations. And, and up until this point, I had never had a problem with weed. I loved my weed. You know? But it never gave me external consequences. It never gave me any problems. You know, I, I, uh, I go to work when I'm stoned. You know? I clean my house when I'm stoned. You know, I don't go to jail when I'm stoned. You know? And I used to talk about this and talk about this and talk about this and talk about this. And one day I went and got high. And, um, but I knew I had a problem with booze and I was already in AA and I have a desire not to drink. So I'm still a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I'm smoking pot. It's okay. You know, you got to think the drink through, you know, let go and let God. And, and, you know, and I, I'm smoking a bone outside the back door. You know, I'm going to be spiritual and be a Rasta, you know, it's, it's, I see her in the back. She knows. I really believe that this was okay. You know, this is how, how insane my mind is, you know, um, I truly believed that I could smoke dope, be spiritual, be a Rastafarian, and go to AA and still stay sober. And um, it lasted a few months. It, it did. It lasted a few months. And eventually, uh, this little thing started messing with me. It was this kind of voice in the back of my head saying, you're full of shit. You know? And um, 
this guilt and this hypocrisy just started to kind of creep in and just kind of really gnaw at me. And uh, But, you know, what? I didn't relapse. I, I, I was just smoking this natural herb, be, trying to be spiritual. So I got to go out and I got to get drunk so that I can come back. You know, so I can officially come back. And, uh, and I did. I went out and I got drunk. The problem was is I couldn't come back. It took me three years of going to meetings every single day. Three, four meetings a day. And I wasn't able to put together more than a couple of days at a time. Um, I went to two detoxes and got loaded within a day or hours after being released. Um, I remember I, uh, I was sober three days and I met Carrie. Um, <laughs> and uh, she was, uh, we were talking about this before earlier about prayer and medication and she was working that kind of program. And, uh, <laughs> and she had a mohawk and combat boots and a hippie skirt. And uh, I was like, cool. Now I'm there in my overalls and no shoes and a tie-dye, you know, and we fit. And everybody told us to stay away from each other. <laughs> and we fit. And we ended up getting together, getting this apartment in East Orange, New Jersey, which is serious hood, you know, you know. And, uh... We lasted a little while. It was a, it was a, it was a couple weeks. No, it wasn't a couple weeks. <laughs> what? Two days after Pink Floyd. Two days after Pink Floyd. Okay. But we were on our way. We went down to this this NA meeting down in East Orange, and if we can't find this meeting, I'm going to go get loaded. You know, we found this meeting. Damn. If they don't open up this meeting on time, I'm going to I'm going to just go out and get drunk. You know, if this guy says greasy crackhead one more time, I'm going to go get high. You know, and, and he did. You know. <laughs> um, and so we, uh, you know, we, we proceeded to get drunk that night. And uh, that, that, that was the, the last run, God willing, up until this, uh, you know, they, they, they brought me uh, back in. And um, I got to try Zima. Which was, which was <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I remember, you know, again, this is, once I start, you know, there's no stopping. I, I can't stop me. Um, something outside of me needs to stop me. And um, I remember crawling out of a basement on September 6th and, uh, feeling like my brain's been run over by a truck. Um, and walking down Kearney Avenue in Kearney, New Jersey, thinking, God, I'm here again. You know, I'm homeless again. We lost our little apartment in East Orange because we didn't want to pay rent. Um, you know, um, my stuff is in, in, in her mom's garage, you know, and I'm, I'm dirty, I'm stinking, I'm homeless again, and, and I've got this wicked hangover. And uh, I got to go back. I got to go back to the rooms. And I remember walking to, 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 there was a meeting at noon in Lyndhurst, which was a few miles away. And we walked down Kearney Avenue, but we had to stop and get my wallet on the way. 
And uh, I went to pick up my wallet from the guy I was with the night before. I had left it in his car. And he handed me back a bag of weed. And on instinct or whatever it was, I took it. I've been talking for the past hour about how I need to go get sober. And I'm going to, I'm going to a meeting, and this guy hands me this bag, and I just took it right out of his hand. Yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, it's this compulsion. It's this, I can't. I don't know how to be sober. Um, that's that's what that's what it really comes down to. That's the, you know, the obsession of my mind is not so much that I can control and enjoy my drinking. You know, yeah, that that's there to some degree, or that was there years ago. But it's gotten to the point, or it got to the point where, you know, no consequence matters anymore because the the uncomfortability that I'm in when I'm sober. Is so great that I just don't care, you know, that I just don't care. That 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 noise in my head and that and that 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 pain inside, you know. Um, but fortunately, uh, she had half a brain at that moment and got rid of it. And we walked to this meeting, and it was a big book meeting. It wasn't a big book meeting like we know big book meetings to be, but it was still a big book meeting, and I. I got a big book and we read the story about the Southern Belle or whatever her name was. And and, and the, the scary thing about it was, is this is some old Southern woman and I totally got it. You know, for that moment, I had this, this window where there was no comparison. You know, it was all about tapping into the, to the experience and the feeling. And um, I jumped right in. You know, I got a sponsor very, very quickly. Um, the problem was my sponsor told me if I did a four-step, um, I would drink. Uh, <laughs> but I had a sponsor. You know, I, I, I got a network of people that I called on a regular basis. I, I, I got involved and I was making meetings as often as possible. And I did the things that I didn't want to do before. Now, granted, the, the, the group that I, I got sober in didn't believe in step work, um, they believe that if you make enough meetings that, you know, and you go to enough barbecues and, and if you, you hang out with the right people. And, cause the, the town of Carney where I got sober is a very insulated community. You know, all the meetings in the area are all within walking distance and it's every single day of the week and you can walk to a meeting and you can hide out in AA. And if you hook up with the right crowd, you can hide out in AA completely. And you never have to experience anything out there. And uh, you can run to a meeting and you can share about your problems and feel better until the next day. You know, until you have to run to a meeting and share about your problems and feel better till the next day. And, uh, and so on. Um, but me, I, uh, I remember uh, being in a meeting and uh, feeling like a hollowed out egg. Just fragile, and, and, and if you touched me, I was going to shatter into a million pieces. And uh, there was this old guy who used to go to meetings where I, uh, where I got sober. And this guy was like 40, 50 years sober, two days older than dirt, and right next to God, and had this cigar like this long, and this is back when you could smoke the meetings. And he'd light up a cigar you know, at this midnight meeting and talk about grabbing drunks off the street and bringing them home and reading the book to them. And I had no idea what he was talking about. You know, I was in this kind of therapy AA. And, but I heard it. You know, it was there. It got filed. 
And um, within a very short period of time of me getting sober, it was probably within September sometime, I started to read the book. And I read in, in the beginning that this is the basic text of our fellowship. And that clicked. You know, God graced me with a moment of clarity. And, 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 it, and it registered, and it, and it made sense to me. And I have no idea why, but it just did. And I started to read it, and I started to do the things in there that it asked me to do. And I remember my sponsor telling me to put away my notebook, you know, because you're going to drink if you do this four-step. And I told him, I said, I, I've been, I'm drinking anyway. What is it going to hurt me? It's the only thing I haven't tried so far, you know. And uh, I finished writing this garbage inventory. I mean, it was... It was 90% lies, but it was as honest as I could have been at the time, you know. It really was, uh, truthfully. Um, and uh, I brought it to him, and we sat down one afternoon, and, and I shared it with him. And, and it was the first time in my life that I didn't feel like the nice guy who drank a little too much or the biggest piece of shit on the planet. I, I found found some kind of balance with who I was. Um <clears throat> And uh, I remember uh, I did I did the steps all ass backwards that first time. Um, I started off with ten. Um, I started looking at ten and eleven. I started looking at my day, then looking at the defects, and then writing them down, and then looking at them. Do I want God to remove these? Yes, I do. God, please take them away. So I'm doing ten, eleven, six, and seven, and I'm writing four at the same time. And and. You know what? I, I started to get a feel for this thing. You know, you know, I had no guidance, but I was doing, I was reaching around in the dark, and I was reading the book, and like I said, it was making sense, but it wasn't. You know, because I still got this alcoholic brain, I still got this, the, the, the screwed up mind, but it was making some sense, and uh, that experience has always uh, brought me to this that that line in there. It says, "God doesn't make too hard terms for those who seek." You know. Because you can do this all ass backwards, and it can still happen. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know. It, 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 I, I truly believe, you know, and, it, and it's taken me a long time to get to this place. But the methodology doesn't matter. You know, it's the it's the intent and, and the fact that I'm truly trying to seek God. You know, and God comes in and and, and will tap you. You know, because he, he did it for me. Um, I. I I did my best to make all the amends that I was aware of at that time, and I and I and I completed that that first round of amends. Um, oh, I, I probably was less than a year sober, uh, probably maybe six months, nine months, because I did that I did that first inventory at four, yeah, you know, four or five months, whatever it was. I started it. It took me two months to write it. And walked around. I had I had 160 names on my resentment inventory. Yeah, you know, I, I I I won't do that to newcomers anymore. You know, I kind of if if they're okay and they're writing like that, I don't mess with them. But if they're starting to kind of stumble or act out or do whatever, I give them a time frame. You know what I mean? I, I, you know what? You can do it again in six months. You can do it again in a year. You know, 160 names to write and sit in inventory really sucks. You know, it's it truly because you're miserable through that. You know, and uh, and it's a long ass fist step too. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, like I said, I, I, I did this, and uh, you know, and then I, then I, 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 we moved, and we met some people who uh, who had this. They, they had, they had, they had experienced this, and uh, I learned how to read the book. You know, the 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 way it was, the way. I learned. The, I don't want to say the right way because that, that's. I don't. I don't necessarily believe it's the right way anymore. But I learned to read it the way Joe and Mark do. You know, um, I, I, I got. I got plugged into some people in Staten Island who had uh, been sponsored by Joe or Mark or one or the other, and um, and I. I I had a new experience with this, and I started to do it again. And, but, uh, but again, the, the gypsy in me, I moved. You know, and uh, I lost that connection to those people. So what we did is uh, we started grabbing wet ones. You know, we started grabbing the relapsers, the people with, you know, 15 years in AA but never getting sober, and bringing them back to the house, and reading the book to them. And, and sharing this experience with them, uh, you know, because I, I went back to that area that doesn't believe in the steps, and I had nobody to bounce stuff off of. I had no sponsorship line. I had nobody to 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 hold me accountable on any level. So what I had to do is I had to take guys through the work in order to do that, to get that, to get that aspect of my my my, my program, my fellowship, and um, so we started our house meeting. You know, and that's how it began. It became it began out of necessity, but it evolved into into something really cool. Um, at a, at four years sober, I, I I stumbled across a group in Bernardsville, New Jersey, and uh, I uh, I asked a guy to be my sponsor who had like twenty something years and he'd been doing this for a long time, and he's the one who actually gave me. The, the real meat to this book and he, he showed me how to do it quote unquote the right way you know I, I like I said I've since changed my, my view on that but he, he gave me the mechanics you know and and the mechanics in that book to me are, are very important but what happened and I'll, I'll quickly share my experience on it I, I was raised a good Catholic yeah, I, uh, I, I, I sit and kneel, stand. I say the response. I know the prayers. I'm watching Stigmata a few years ago, and I'm saying the responses out of habit to the priest on the on the TV. You know, I, that's the kind of, you know, that's what I was raised with, and I became very attached to the uh, the method in that book, and, and and the way you're supposed to do it, and the right way to do it, and dot the i's and cross the t's, and and do my nightly review at this time, and wake up and have my nightly review and my prayer meditation in front of me, and I'm doing this perfect, and I was and I got crazy, you know, I really did, I got crazy, and I got sicker, and I'm looking at these people in, in my home group, and they're all seem happy, and life is awesome, and and I'm friggin' miserable. You know, there's something missing. There's something wrong. Uh, and I don't, like I said, I, I don't blame my sponsor. I blame me for it. But he asked me when he first, when he first, when I first asked him to sponsor me, he asked me to set aside everything that I know. And and what I did, or what I should have done, is I should have taken what I knew up until that point in my experience and put it on the back burner, and had an open mind to go through to work with him. But instead, I threw it out. I just threw it away. And what I had been doing for those first four years was working. 
there was a spirit behind what I was doing. I didn't have the mechanics from the book the way they're laid out, but I had the spirit, you know, and I threw that spirit out, and I got this very rigid fundamentalist kind of big book message, and uh, since had to make a lot of amends for that period of time in my life. <laughs> um, because I was the kind of guy I'd walk into a 12 and 12 meeting with my big book under my arm and, and point out where they're doing it wrong. You know? um, but I threw out all the, all the spirit and I, and I got the mechanics and I went crazy. And um, I remember sitting in my office one, one night and my wife walks in and she says, I want a divorce. And I'm like, what? Totally blown away. You know, truly, I had no idea. In hindsight... You know, she had told me along the way that this is going to happen, you know, but I was totally blindsided by this and I was clueless. And I, and I sat down and I wrote my nightly review that night and my sponsor came up, my wife came up, somebody from my steel on steel came up and her best friend came up. I said, oh shit, I'm screwed. You know, the people who were closest and most influential in my life were on my nightly review and I hate them right now. Yeah. You know? And, um. I, I decided at that point I needed to do this again. I needed to go through this process again. And, and, I, and I called up my old sponsor, the, the guy that told me I'd drink. Um, he had since gone through some steps and had an experience himself. And I called him up, and I was telling him what was going on. And, uh, and that I'm working, I'm working with all these guys, and I'm crazy, and I don't know what's going on. And I got this, I got this group of people in my living room. There's a whole bunch of them, and, and, and I can't be nuts and giving them this information and he goes well, you know what you do is bring a blank book and I was like what? I can't do that you know I need my I need my teacher's guide you know I need that book that's been to 40 workshops with all the all the right highlighters and the and the dates and the and then all the facts and figures he goes no bring a blank book and I was totally clueless I had no idea what he was talking about but I did it you know I think it was Monday night rolls around and I, I go and I sit in this group and we say our prayer and I crack the book and we're in we agnostics or wherever we were and I started to read from this blank book and all of a sudden the pages came alive and it was exactly what was going on that week and for the next couple months or whatever it was that we were going through that that that, that run through the book everything was about what was happening that week and from the week before to now and how it applied and how this stuff works and uh, it changed my whole view. It changed my whole perspective on, on the 12 steps. It changed my whole view of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I, I had celebrated uh, right around that time. And I, and I remember walking up to the podium. And uh, first things that came out of my mouth was that this has been the worst year of my entire life. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm in so much pain. It sucks. You know, but what? You know, and... Not once in this past year have I wanted to pick up a drink. It has not crossed my mind. Yeah. And that's a direct result of the 12 steps in this book and, and God. You know, and, and I was blown away because it was. It was real. You know, I can be in pain today and not want to drink. You know, and uh, the book is alive. You know, I just, uh, I just got done doing some work. Um, well, I, actually, that's not true. I didn't get done yet. I'm still in the middle of it, and uh, and and it's 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 new, and it's it's uh, different, and it's the same deal, you know. Um, 
I don't worry about which method I'm using anymore. You know, I pray and I ask God to show me. You know, I have a prayer that I use every time that I sit down and write or any time I sit down and, you know, do some kind of process in the book is, God, please show me what blocks me from you and my fellows. And that's it. And I start to write and I let God do the work. You know, um, it's been it's been an amazing trip. You know, it really has. And, and I, I can't imagine what's going to happen, you know, down the road. But, uh, you know, if it's anything like it's been, it's a hell of a ride. You know, it's uh, it really is. But um, I don't know how much that related to the first step tonight. But, hey, that's okay um, because that's what needed to come out. And uh, I guess uh, I'll shut up and that's it. Thanks.